Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We caught up early today with Carolyn Clark-Loader. She's a board director at K2 Gold, amongst other uh, companies. And she's an expert in Indian law and First Nations relations. And we talked to her about those topics in the context of Biden's uh, executive orders being signed uh, and its impact in the mining industry and people's concerns around that. Fascinating conversation. Uh, if you're into any of that, you should definitely watch this. Uh, and if you want our thoughts and opinions on the conversations, the topics discussed, um, and indeed uh, K2 Gold, you can find that at cruxinvestor.com forward slash club, where you can also find detailed company reports and analysis. We've got uh, training courses on there to help you with your diligence process. We've got commentaries from other experts on other macro topics uh, affecting the world of investing in mining. Uh, plus, we've got summaries of interviews that we've done. In fact, all of the interviews that, that we've done, just to save you some time, because we know you're busy. And uh, most importantly of all, you can join a thriving community of investors sharing their thoughts and ideas with each other in a nice, friendly and safe environment, free from judgment, trolling and abuse. Uh, if that sounds nice to you, go and join them at cruxinvestor.com forward slash club. Carolyn, how are you? I'm fine, thank you. Well, thanks for joining us. We actually spoke off camera a couple of weeks ago because I wanted uh, I wanted a little bit of insight into tribal law and such matters, and you are an expert. And I had a fascinating session with you. Um, we spoke for about an hour, didn't we? When yes. I can talk a bit, can't I? You can. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just intrigued, intrigued. Anyway, look, um, hello and welcome back. And for folks who weren't on that phone call, uh, where in the world are you? I am in uh, Tempe, Arizona. Beautiful. Beautiful. Well, is it? I guess the weather is rather nice over there. Perfect. Perfect. Okay, good, good, good. U.S. spring training going on. Is that right? What's that mean? Yes. I don't even know what that means. What is that? Baseball. Oh, dear. Baseball? Oh, dear. Is that a sport? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, oh tough. who's your team? Who's your team? Uh, well, the Arizona Diamondbacks, of course. Right. Okay. They're they're the best in the nation. Of course. Okay. Okay. You're not giving much away. Okay. I'll, I'll have to look up this baseball thing that you're talking about. It sounds fascinating. <laughs> okay. Well, look. Um, you're part of the K2 uh, Gold Board. Um, yeah. And I thought it'd be really interesting after our chat for the rest of the world to um, hear you talk about a few things too. So I um, appreciate you uh, joining us. Um, and I would normally kind of go through, you know, company stuff here, but I think this, there's some very specific things that you've been brought on to help the company with because of your expertise and background. So we better start off with understanding a little bit about you and um, your experience. So tell us a bit about the experience component first, and we'll move into what you've been brought on to do. Uh, yes, I was uh, brought on last year to K2 Gold to the Board of Directors as an independent director. And my background is uh, tribal relations and mineral rights. So I've been around a number of years and uh, worked for uh, Freeport McMoran most recently, heading up mineral rights and have dealt with tribal relations for about the past 25, almost 30 years now. Right. It seems to me, and that's a long time, 25, 30 years, it's kind of like, it was before it was a thing in mining. Good point. Yes, it was. And what it was is it was starting uh, many years ago, uh, trying to mine actually on tribal lands. And that was 
kind of the start of it is going on to an area of uh, uncertainty, different rules and regulations. So the company decided that uh, I needed to get a degree in Indian law because they, they weren't sure what the rules were. They just knew they were different. So actually, uh, I got a, uh, a master's in legal studies in Indian law. See, what, what interests me about all of this, and you know, and we'll kind of get into some of the subjects we've covered previously, or talked about last time we spoke, was that 25, 30 years ago, it just kind of seemed like mining companies just ran roughshod over things like that. These, these you know, First Nations didn't really have a say, didn't feel like First Nations had a say in things. But recently, it's become the kind of de facto ESG uh, topic where, you know, large funds are demanding that companies have systems in place, processes in place, a position and statements ready um, to go. So how have things changed in 30 years? Have they changed? Or have I kind of got a, a, a you know, am I reading that situation incorrectly? Well, in the U.S., uh, for many, many aspects of it, it hasn't changed at all until very recent and it's still in transition, literally month by month now with the new administration. But it's a very difficult area for the tribes. If you are not mining on tribal lands, many of the federal agencies, they are required to consult with the tribes, but they would do it too little too late. And those were kind of the words that most all the tribes use, too little too late, or they didn't consult with them at all. And more recently, I'd say in the last 10 years, Many of the federal agencies started doing a better job, but I think the tribes would say they really did. It was still too little, too late. So the new administration is really the start of tribal consultation. It's it's kind of interesting to me because it's, it seems that the the, the core of uh, most my board discussions and and processes these days because they need to do it because I mentioned large funds are demanding it. Um, but there's still little understanding of it. So First Nations is one thing, and then you've also got the locals to deal with, right? They've, they've also got their own demands and situations. Um, and we're seeing this all over the world. We're seeing South America, big issues down there, just, just with how you deal with, you know, the local, local population at, you know, at, uh, you know, the state, state's level, uh, or provincial levels. Same thing in Canada, where they, where I think the First Nations have taken a, a much stronger position than, than I, I, I'm seeing down in the United States. I mean, are, are you, with your experience, are you seeing different parts of the world behaving differently? Are some of the First Nations a little bit more empowered in some places rather than others? Yeah, I think particularly in Canada, uh, I've said that they're probably twelve or ten to twelve years ahead of the U.S. But with the new administration, I think we're going to catch up on that. But that's yet to be seen. It's uh, it's a new area where uh, the regulations and the policy haven't really been written yet and haven't even been implemented. So it we may be still a good, hopefully only seven to eight years behind. And I think the tribes would say hopefully only a few years behind. So right, you you, you studied um, you studied law. Tribal law. Can't be too many people studying tribal law 25 years ago. Um, were you able to put it to practice? I mean, did, did it matter? Uh, it mattered a lot. And actually, I only got my law degree uh, about uh, less than 10 years ago because we were having issues, the company I worked with at the time, 
we just didn't understand. We were treating everything like standard uh, corporation contracts. And there were hurdles that the company was, why, why did we go down that road? We didn't know this. So yeah, they, I, uh, my background's actually geology and my uh, master's is in geography with an undergraduate in geology. The Indian law just came about in the last 10 years of working with mineral rights and tribes. Okay, so what, what, are, what are the learnings? Because I'm, I'm, this, is, this is for an audience of perhaps all capabilities, all levels of experience, and perhaps in mining investment, and perhaps people who are coming in from outside, you know, having been in the technology space or bioscience or whatever, whatever they've been investing in. in it, this is all new, new news to them. And I suspect for a lot of pe- people, even though more experienced, tribal law is going to be new to them. So what's the difference? What are the differences in tribal law versus regular federal or state law? That's a real loaded question. Uh, The simple answer is it's complicated uh, because it's a different sector of the Constitution. And it's actually in the Constitution as the terminology Indians. That's why it's called Indian law. And there are uh, many components of it where in the U.S., and I'm not sure about other countries because I only studied Indian law, is in the U.S., the powers of the tribe is to self-government. So that could be different in different countries, but here they have a uh, an absolute power of self-government among their members, and that can only be changed by Congress. So they aren't sovereign nations per se, but they have sovereignty among their members. And that's very complicated to people to understand that difference that they are not um, sovereign nations. They are still regulated by the US Congress. Right, okay, because I think we, said so I was involved in uh, gaming, um, you know, 25 odd years ago, 20 years ago, and we saw, you know, all around the world, but we saw in the US, you know, again, First Nation groups taking control of situations where they could create gaming environments free from the regulation and uh, tax regulations as well uh, of, of the federal government. Can we expect to see the same starting to happen with mining? You know, can they empower themselves as some of the Canadian First Nations groups have done um, to get to benefit financially more than they currently or have been? Is it going to be, I guess what I'm getting to, can they get to the point where it can be an imposition on the companies wishing to mine on their land? I'm not sure, sure um, the question in the sense that uh, the many of the Alaskan tribes, they have formed private corporations. And so they are no longer in a, in a trust responsibility with the US government. They can still, they can go out and set their own policies, procedures and decide what to do with their land without having the guardianship over them. Uh, but until they go out of that status, they're still, the tribes are still under trust to the US. So they still have that guardian back there. Um, in many cases in history, telling them what to do and maybe telling them wrongly what to do. Uh, it's, a, it's a very complicated situation. Many tribes are thinking about leaving that status, 
Uh, and that would change with the mining industry. If they do, then they set their own policies and procedures on how they would uh, do mining. And would that, should mining companies be worried about that? Uh, it's never been an issue down here, uh, other than the Alaskan tribes. Uh, it's, it's only talk. I don't see that happening in the next 10 to 20 years at all. Right. Okay. It's, 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 a, sort of, it's a legitimate question and, and concern if it's legally possible for them to you know, start um, creating scenarios where it makes it difficult for miners. But, so let, let, but let, let's, let's talk about the political situation, if we don't mind. Obviously, you, you mentioned it briefly there. Biden's come in, and I think a lot of Republicans are going, oh, no, this big green new economy, it's going to be restrictive on our ability to you know, mine uh, to develop mines or even explore or even get licenses and permits. Is that the reality? Well, right now, uh, you know, there's a lot of rhetoric on the news and uh, there's certainly been no shortage of executive orders in this administration. Um, but that's been true of all the administrations. Uh, for the most part, I think it's safe to say that there really isn't any change in terms of particularly K2 Gold or other companies, um, you know, and, and precious metals, there really isn't any change from the previous administration to this administration. There is a process, there's regulations, there's rules, and you have to follow that process, irrespective of who's in office. Uh, the only change is how uh, the policies are gonna be developed and we're still early in this administration and we're still going through cabinet appointments. Uh, the first uh, Native American uh, from the Laguna Pueblo, uh, Deb Halem was just appointed Secretary of Interior. That, that was a big deal, but we're already into March and the clock is ticking and elections will be coming up for uh, the next round of the Senate. So th there's a lot going on in the US. Uh, on the radar screen, we're pretty low on the radar screen, the industry as a whole. Right. Okay. Okay. So it's, you, you, would, you would hope it's business as usual. There's lots of yeah. other things to, to worry about. So the mining industry has no concerns because we obviously, we obviously saw the pipeline, uh, you know, what, what happened there. And I think people got a little bit nervous about what the implications could be. But those are what? A different set of, different set of concerns? different set of concerns and those are really the big ticket items. Those are going to get a lot of attention and those are going to go through the courts. I mean, there's already lawsuits on, on all those, but the rest of the, uh, the rest of the nation is pretty much business as usual is going through that process, doing your due diligence, filing your applications and doing The most important thing now is doing stakeholder engagement. Um, if you don't do stakeholder engagement, you're, you're going to get, you're going to get a back seat. Right. And, and I do want to come on to that, but I just want to understand some of the moving parts as well. So I want to talk about sort of mineral rights, mining, mining law, surface rights, permitting process, et cetera. So some of the, let's try and explain to people what those things are. So maybe start with sort of mineral rights. What, what does that mean? In our case, we're on federal lands and the rules are different, whether you're on state lands, private lands, uh, federal lands. In our case, uh, we're managed by the um, U.S. Bureau of Land Management. You can also be on Forest Service lands. There's all different agencies. In the case of K2 Gold, uh, the uh, 
the, the agency is the Bureau of Land Management and they're under the Department of Interior. That's why the Secretary of Interior is important to us as to who is appointed. If you're on Forest Service lands, you're under the Department of Agriculture. So it's a little, you might say it's a little disjointed from the mining side is that you can be on different, different agencies, but those are primarily the, the, the major agencies. And so with federal lands, we, there is a mining law. It was uh, started, it was May 10th, 1872. And that's when you hear of all the, the claim staking where you go out and mark your claims. And uh, back in the gold rush days, California, uh, the mother load. And that mining law is now called the general mining law. And it has been uh, updated over the years. And that's the ones in place. And that's the one that Again, we follow the process of, of the mining law and we have the rights to uh, the minerals if they're economic, that's called a valid claim. And then, but we still have to deal with the surface owner, so to speak, which is the Bureau of Land Management. Right, okay. And, and I wanted to sort of talk about these in the, in the context of when companies are sitting on First Nations land, if I may, because you know, I, I, I get the kind of federal state, and then I guess pri- would, would First Nations come under private, or does that is it nope. held separate, its own category, mm-hmm. right? But still, have, they have to follow, follow the rule of law, federal and, and, and state. Most part, they, they're pretty much on the federal federal category. The environmental process is the same for them, but. There are specifics that are just applicable to them in certain areas. Right. So when you're talking to these First Nations and you're, because it's not, it's not just, it, you've got to get people to buy into the idea of, of someone wanting to come and mine on, mine on their land. And, you know, we, we, we've had conversations with uranium companies where First Nations groups, you know, back in the 40s, 50s and 60s, perhaps were exposed to situations that they wouldn't be today. And there's, But there's still that legacy view of mining companies as a, or mining certain you know minerals on their land which just stays there and likewise if you know mining companies have previously been in you know in an area and left it in a certain state which is you know unacceptable to the whether it be locals or first nations you've got legacy issues to deal with so when you when you're talking to first nations groups when how do they view these mining companies coming in? I think it's important to kind of understand the psychology before you have start the conversation. It, it depends on whether you're, you're on their, their lands that are set aside for trust for them. We, the generic term is a reservation. Uh, there's, there's many different terms. If you're coming on to their land, that's a different discussion. Or are you coming on to lands that may have been part of their territory or part of their ancestral lands? two very different tracks, day and night different. Uh, You're going onto their land, you need to have their permission. If they're territorial or ancestral lands, that's a different discussion, then that needs to be dealt with as a stake. Then they are just a stakeholder at that point, but they have control if it's on their land. But but talk to me about the psychology here, because like you've, you've kind of, they've got all this history there and you know they have been invaded, yeah. right? And a bunch of grey-haired white old white men coming on and going, we're, "We want to be mining here. Uh, we'll be starting next year." And they're going to be going, "Well, hold on a second. We've got some thoughts about that." I mean, what are the sorts of conversations that 
Because, I, I, you know, we, we, two things. One, we've had investors, you know, write in and say, well, what the heck do we need to ask these guys permission for? We're going to give them jobs and money. They should just sit down and shut up, right? Literally, I've had those those messages to me and I'm like, and I'm sort of jaw dropped, right? And then you've got CEOs who kind of walk into an area from, they, they come from some other part of the world and they walk in and go, right, let's just get on with this thing here. And they don't understand why they're being held up. It doesn't make sense and they can't explain it and they don't know what to do. Yeah, the difference is, is that uh, particularly with K2 Gold is we have a great group and it's what do we need? The first question was, and that's why they brought me on board, is what do we need to do to not misstep? And I said, the first thing you need to do is we need to go meet with the tribes. And we did meet with them and very same comment was, you should have been here years ago. Well, we just acquired it. We apologized. We're here now. And we we were the first to meet with them. And by that, I mean, instead of meeting with other stakeholders, we met with the tribes first. And that was important and said, what are your issues? And there are members of the tribe, there are activists in the tribe who say, we don't want you out there. Understood. But we do have our rights to be out there on, in this case, out on their, uh, their ancestral lands. How can we make this work? So what we did is we voluntarily agreed to hire their cultural monitors during our drilling. We didn't have to do that, but we took them in and said, while we're drilling, inspect the drill pads, inspect, look for artifacts, whatever it is an issue culturally out there, let us know. Let us know if we shouldn't be in one area, if we should be in another area. And it literally, uh, it was a learning experience for both sides. Okay. So, so that's what you, that's what you've done, and that those those were the objections thrown at you. But you know, how severe can this get? I mean, how problematic can it get? What are the concerns? Am I, am I right to say they they look at these people coming from outside and walking roughshod over them? And the important thing that's going to happen now, and that's kind of the unknown, is this administration is the regulatory review is what is the, the new Secretary of Interior, how is she going to handle tribal consultation? Are there going to be some rules put into place that the tribe, I, I believe it's gonna be that there's more consultation, more talk. The industry may be concerned about delays, but it's still gonna come down to if you're not on their land, how can you resolve it? What are their other issues that they may need? Maybe it's a cost sharing. Uh, maybe it's tribal employment, and each tribe is different. Some have gaming, and that's not an issue. It's like we we have enough in this cat this bucket, but maybe they need have other needs for healthcare issues and things like that. It's conversation conversations, and the companies that are willing to have those conversations will will do much better than those, as you say, that just come in and say, we, we have the right, we're not going to listen to you. That, that that doesn't work anymore. We have to listen to them. You have to listen to them because it's the right thing, ethically, morally, and all of those good reasons. But do the mining companies still have the ability through the permitting process, through licensing, through through just you know mining code, et cetera, to ignore that 
and just go through a process. Is, is the, are the First Nations incorporated into a process of, of obtaining your permit or your license? Or is it just an irritation off to the side? I mean, I, I just want, to, want you to help me communicate how important it is so people understand the need for roles like yours uh, and, and other people like you. I think the, uh, the key word is delay and expense. If you don't do it, you're going to have delays and expense. And then that has ramifications that just spin off. Uh, there are companies that are years and years behind because they are playing catch up to the tribal consultation process. And that costs money and things change. Uh, commodity prices change, and that's impacted those companies who, who didn't uh, play ball, using the baseball analogy, uh, fairly right from the start, is if you follow that process and you do it correctly and you engage with them and find out what the needs are and mitigate those, you have to mitigate them, there will be conditions, then, then there's, there really is no issue. But if you fight that process and you don't follow it, you're going to have you, you eventually probably will get your project, but it's going to be costly. So you can put a number on that or companies can put a number on it and go, it's worth us expending X dollars now. It's, a, it's an inconvenience. Who yeah. wants to? We're going to get there. But you go, there's a, there's, a, there's a time cost analysis done. You go, we will allocate this amount of money and time and effort to this or else it's, it could be terminal. Potentially. Yeah, I think you hit a really good point is the uh, the old school way was a certain percentage was very low. The the new school way is you better up that percentage. Right. Okay. That's 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 fascinating to me. I mean, so where you're at with the permitting process, you know, I know you've you're in, you engage with people, etc. But are you expecting any delays? Because that's one of the things I was going to throw in at you guys is like, oh, never get the permits you need. The license will just take forever. Um, this is this is going to just take an eternity to kind of get going and get to the pace that you think you're capable of, of, of getting to. So how are things going? They're going really well. And because of the, the timing, uh, I don't foresee any issues with delays uh, or increased costs because I don't see having tribal cultural monitors, we don't view that as... Uh, an, an ancillary cost. That's part of doing business. That's the right thing to do. So the company has, has accepted that that's the right thing to do. So for us, it's not, uh, it's not anything other than business as usual. We need to have the cultural monitors. We need to mitigate for their concerns that the, that the tribe has expressed. And everything is, is in order at this point. Right. Everything's in order with, with you guys. But okay, for other companies, because Again, one of the pushbacks, some of the questions we got sent in previously when, when we interviewed K92 to, to Gold was um, the fact that that state just doesn't like mining. It's going to be a nightmare for them or anyone else who tries mining there. And I know there's some big names operate uh, in and around you, but is that true anymore? Was it ever true? Or is it just a case of let's, you just got to follow the process and you'll get there? Yeah, yeah, your questions are, are spot on. Is California is has always been considered the most difficult state. But I think it, it, the distinction is in terms of the regulations. 
they have the highest regulations in terms of their reclamation bonding, in terms of air quality, whatever any other state is doing, they'll they'll either bump up or bump down the thresholds. So it isn't a matter of uh, whether it's a difficult state, it's just different standards. And California has the highest standards. As long as you can meet those standards, it's not difficult. Well, you gotta meet them economically. That's the yes. challenge. Yeah. But, but the point is, they, they aren't setting you up to fail. They're just setting you Correct. up and holding you to a higher standard. Yeah. And, and you can make money? As long as you can. Yes, it depends on the prices. <laughs> always, always, always. Always. Well, well look, um, Karen, thank you so much for your time. I'm going to let you get on with your day. You've probably got some baseball matches to watch. I will uh, speak to you again soon. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to CruxCast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.